And all of God's people said, oh, thank you, Brother Wes. I'm so glad he has a hold of my hand. One of the reasons I can say I'll never let go is because he will never let go, I tell you. Uh, John tells us in the Gospel of John that we are in the, Christ, in the Lord Jesus Christ's hand and that then we are in the Father's hand, folks. And I just want to tell you that uh, we have a hold of someone who's not going to let go of us. And I'm so thankful for that uh, today. Uh, let's take our Bibles this morning turn to Revelation chapter 2. We come now to the uh, third church of the seven churches, Pergamum, and uh, beginning at verse 12. So uh, turn your Bibles there as we prepare, as we continue through the book of the Revelation. We come now to the permissive church, the permissive church. We've seen the distracted church. Uh, we've seen uh, Smyrna uh, and what Jesus had to say uh, about that particular church. And now at Pergamum, we want to see what Jesus has to say. And just to kind of remind you, this is uh, uh, Asia Minor, what's called in the ancient world Asia Minor. Today it's Turkey. And uh, we saw first Ephesus, and then Smyrna, and then Pergamon. And uh, so uh, you can see the letter is going to make its circle around to the seven churches. And that's what I think it's even beautiful on the map because it shows the seven lamps in a circle, even on the map. And Jesus is in the midst of it. I think it's so uh, uh, like God to do something like that that he says in his book. And there on the map, there, there it is. And I want to tell you something. Jesus is in the midst of his church. Which means he is in the midst of this body of Christ. When we come together, when we fellowship together, the Bible says when we agree together... He is in the midst, and He works His power through His church. And I'm so glad that I'm seeing, I hope you see what God has, has been doing and continues to do here at Poplar Springs Baptist Church. And so, in verse 12, we read these words, And to the angel... Now remember, we'll, I'll say this each time. You'll get this seven times if you're here for each one. The word angel means messenger. The messenger for, for God's church at Pergamum was the pastor. He is the under-shepherd. He is the one who is in charge to make sure that the word that comes from God is from God and that he gives it to God's people in a way that not only they will understand it, but also that they will heed it. Not only hear it, but heed the very words from the Lord Jesus. He says, And to the angel of the church in Pergamum write, The one who has a, the sharp two-edged sword says this. Now each time Jesus introduces himself to each church, he uses one, usually uses one of the things that comes from chapter 1 that we saw the glorious risen Savior, the ruler, the one who is going to come back as judge. He uses one of those signature characteristics to identify himself. And it's interesting that here he uses the sharp two-edged sword. The scripture gives us plenty of understanding of what the two-edged sword is like. In Revelation 1.16, he said, In his right hand he held seven stars. We saw that that was the seven churches. And out of his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword. His face was like the sun shining in its strength. 
In Hebrews 4.12, it says, For the Word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword and piercing as far as the division of soul and spirit of both joints and marrow and able to join the thoughts and intentions of the heart. In other words, the, the sword, the two-edged sword, is the very Word of God. The Scripture when we read it, when we hear it, is like a sword, a two-edged sword, not just a single-edged sword. You know, man, we light those uh, uh, four-edged blades when we shave. Don't let me give us a smooth shave. I want to tell you, a two-edged sword both cuts when it goes in and when it comes out. It's made to cut us. As I prayed this morning, I... Uh, uh, I knelt down and I said, Lord, may your word convict us. May your word confront us as a two-edged sword. In Ephesians 6, 17, it says, In the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit. And so we see that the word of God, which is the word of God, so we see that the sword is the very Word of God coming out of the mouth of Jesus. He is the expression of the Word of God. In Revelation 19, we'll get there one day. Lord willing, He holds off His coming. Wouldn't it be great that if He just came on back and we wouldn't have to finish the book? And I saw heaven open and behold a white horse and He who sat on it called faithful and true and in righteousness he judges and wages war his eyes are aflame to fire and on his head are many diadems and he has a name written on him which no one knows except himself he is clothed with a robe dipped in blood and his name is called what the word of god and the armies which are in heaven clothed in fine linen white and clean were following him Folks, I want to tell you, I'm a part of that army. If you're a believer today, you will be part of that army. When the Lord Jesus returns to set up His kingdom, the Bible describes us following Him on white horses along with Him. But we don't have to... I like being in an army, I don't have to fight. Because the Bible says that He will wipe them out. Look at verse 15. For His mouth comes a sharp sword so that with it he may strike down the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron, and he tread the winepress of the fierceness wrath of God the Almighty. So, what we see here is that Jesus is addressing this church by saying, I am the one with the two-edged sword. I'm going to cut. So it gives the impression that what he is going to say to this church is coming with judgment and is coming with fierceness. Folks, I want to tell you, Jesus, Jesus is the loving master. He is the, the merciful master. But folks, I want to tell you, there is a judgment side to him. All judgment, John says, has been given to him. That's what the Father, uh, Jesus said, that the Father had given him all judgment. And there's a day he's coming, and he's going to come in judgment. So Jesus says, listen, I know where you dwell. 
I'm so glad that this I know is said so many times to the seven churches. Whatever as a church that we are going through, Jesus knows. He knows where you dwell. He knows where you're sitting. He knows the circumstances around. He understands where you are. And folks, I want to say, I'm so glad that we are where we are. We could be in some other places where it wouldn't be so easy to publicly worship. It could be some places where we wouldn't have the ability to have the, the wonderful technology that we're using to, to sing and to present the Word of God. But I tell you what, I pray. I pray for those churches in tough places. He says, I know where you dwell, where Satan's throne is. Where Satan's throne is. You see, in Pergamum, there were five centers of worship that believers in the church of Pergamum were having to deal with day in, day out. They would leave their houses, they would go to their places of work, they would go shop, and all these things were encroaching upon the lives of the people there, and it made it tough to be a Christian. There was the uh, worship center of Athena, who was the virgin goddess of reason and intellect, uh, intelligence, activity, arts, and literature. She was the daughter of Zeus. Her birth is unique in that she did not have a mother. You say, well, I'm so thankful that we don't have the Greek gods that we bow down to in society. But folks, I want to tell you, we have the God, God of intellect that we, we often give to and say, okay. I want to tell you, society, look at the, the universities and the research. Knowledge is doubling every 18 months. We bow down as a society to intellect, to arts and culture and those things. Don't think that when you go out that door you don't face a similar type of God. And then there's the God of medicine, Asclepiosis. I don't know how to say it. Notice that uh, he has the stick with the snake. Have you ever seen that uh, third image there at a doctor's office? Do you know how many billions of dollars is spent each year on medicine, going to the doctor? Folks, we live in a society that is worried about dying, doesn't want to die, and they're spending millions, billions of dollars. Is that not bowing down to the God of medicine Putting our hope in there. And folks, there's nothing wrong going to the doctor when they're sick. I'm planning to go call the doctor tomorrow. I'm planning to go back and make sure that this infection I got is where it should be. Nothing wrong with going to the doctor. But there's some place where we start going after health and, 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 and pursue it and society bows down to this God. When we go out these doors, we're looking at a society who, who worships medicine. Then there was the diocese. 
who was the great Olympian god of wine, vegetation, pleasure, and festivity. This is the god of pleasure. This is the playboy. Oh, when we look at our society, are we not seeing our society bowing down to pleasure, bowing down to, to, to the alcohol, bowing down to, to partying? Last night, October 31st, by the way, uh, October 31st is Reformation Day. That's the day that uh, uh, Martin Luther uh, went up to the chapel door and nailed his 95 thesis uh, to the door. And uh, that's far more important than Halloween. What happened on October 31st? But, but what was going on? I, I, all over Facebook, there's people who had pictures of, of their costumes, and that's fine. And, but they were going, and what was activity of festivity of partying was the whole idea we see this so often folks I want to tell you when we go out the door we go into a society that is bowing down to the God of pleasure and then there was Zeus the presiding deity of the universe now they had temples for each of these five that they uh, many people would go to all of them and worship Ruler of the skies and the earth was regarded by the Greeks as the god of all natural phenomenon on the sky. The personification of the laws of nature. The ruler of the state and finally the father of gods and men. I like to designate him as Mother Nature. I think that's what, how we would connect to it. And how many people are concerned about the the things going on in this world, in our, our ecosystems, pollution, the warming trends supposedly, bowing down to, to that, giving them... So there's people that really have given their lives to this. Now folks, I, I, I'm not saying we're not to pay attention to the things that are happening in our environment, but I tell you what... There's far more important things that we need to be dealing with also. And so Zeus was the, the mother nature God. And when you go out the door today, you're looking at a society that bows down to the environment and the things happening in the environment. And then lastly, there was the emperor worship. In Pergamum, there was the minimum at this time three different temples to three different emperors of Rome because they were seen as deity when they came, became emperor. And Rome required that they worship the emperor and that once a year that they would come on a certain day and that everybody would bow their knee and say, the emperor is Lord. And that's where Christians began to, to have a problem with Rome because they said no Jesus is Lord and they refused on that day to to worship and to bow down to the emperor as a result of that people were being put in prison people were being tortured and people were being martyred believers were being martyred as a result of that I call this the love of government 
And I tell you what, there's people out in our society that believes that government can, can solve everything. I want to tell you what, everything that I've seen government try to solve, they've messed up. I'm thankful for government. Government is a God-ordered thing. But when people become dependent upon the government instead of upon God, there comes a problem. And when we leave this place today, I want to tell you there are people who are bowing down, a society who is bowing down to not only this national government, but the, the one world government that's coming into place. And so it's this context that this church is living in. And I think we have some similar context in our own society. And he says, listen, I know where you are. I know what you're dwelling. I know that it's Satan's throne. And when he refers to Satan's throne here, do you not see that each one of these is where Satan has misled people into believing a false hope? Folks, I want to tell you, any religion any worship other than the worship of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ is worship of Satan. They can call it Islam. They can call it Buddhism. They can call it whatever they want. Ultimately, it's worshiping the devil. And that's what he has learned, uh, that's what he has yearned for his whole existence is that people would bow down to him. And folks, I want to tell you, there are a lot of people in our society who are actually bowing down to him. He says, listen, I know where you're at. I know Satan's throne's right there. I know you're having to deal with this in your society. He says, and yet you hold fast my name and did not deny my faith. Even in the days of Antipas, my witness, my faithful one, who was killed among you where Satan dwells. He says, even though you were persecuted, even though uh, society said that, that you were narrow-minded and that you should bow down to the other gods as well as uh, your God, that you should bow down to, to the government and to the emperor. He says, listen, even when you had people in your own church who were killed and martyred for my name's sake, you hung in there. They were singing the song that Wes was singing just a while ago. We're holding on to his hand. Through it all. Through it all. Even when Antipas, the, the witness that was witnessing for Jesus, who was faithful to Jesus, was killed. Folks, can I remind you, there are times when we are faithful, when we are the witness that God wants us to be, and society will persecute us, they will prosecute us, and they will, they will execute us. Now that's something we haven't experienced in this church, but folks, I want to tell you, there are Christians that are going through that with ISIS in Syria and in Iraq. Being beheaded. Being put on, put, being burnt alive. And yet they're holding on. Holding on. Tell you what, it's easy to hold on 
when we're sitting here on comfortable pews with air conditioning. But holding on gets tough when they're killing us. Jesus says, listen, I'm so thankful for what you do. He says, but, but, as with Ephesus, he says, listen, I've got a, I got a, at Ephesus, he says, listen, I got one thing against you. I got one thing I need to talk to you about. So thankful that uh, at, at Smyrna, he, he, he didn't have to get onto them about anything. But here at Pergamum, he says, but I have a few things. A few things. Oh, if Jesus was here today, I wonder what he would say. Would he say, I just have one thing, you've left your first love? Would he be able to say, listen, you just keep on going like Smyrna? Or would he have to say to us, I have a few things against you? Because you have there some who hold the teaching of Balaam, who kept teaching Balak to put a stumbling block before the sons of Israel, to eat things sacrificed to idols and to commit acts of immorality. He says, while you took a stand, while the believers there took a stand, he says, you have those false teaching and false teachers in your midst. You're, you're, you're permissive to allow that to go on. You're not stopping it. You're not calling attention to it. You're not warning people about it. You're not putting them outside of the bonds of the church because of their, their false teaching. Let me just remind you what he's referring to when he talks about the false teaching of Balaam. Balak is, was a king. You can go to Numbers, and this story covers over three chapters. And he was trying to figure out how he could defeat Israel. And so he hired him, <laughs> hired him a prophet to give a curse. I'll tell you what. Is there any difference in giving money to get a blessing from a preacher on TV and hiring a false prophet or a prophet to give a blessing? Uh, I'm not sure uh, that's... Uh, to me, it seems the same. He says, listen. He, he called Balaam to come to, to him, and he says, listen, this is my plan. I want you to give us a blessing since you're a prophet of God, and if you bless us, then Israel cannot... Defeat us. You know what? All Balak had to do is say, you know what? We want to join Israel. We want to, to worship the one and true God. We want to if they would have been God would have welcomed them. But no, they try to trick to, to get in. And so they come up on the hill, they look over the valley, they look at Israel and and um, Balak. Balaam gets up there. He gets ready to give the blessing. When he opens his mouth, God's words came out instead of his words, and he gave a blessing to Israel. <laughs> Balaam said, what are you doing? He says, hold on, let me just try this again. And he tried it two more times, and each time he came to give a blessing to, to Balak and his people... He gave a blessing instead to Israel because God's words came out of his mouth. <laughs> Balaam was concerned because he saw that he was going to lose his money that the king had paid him because he was unable to, to, 
to bring a curse on Israel. And so Balaam said, here, this is what you need to do. You need to invite the children of Israel to marry your beautiful daughters. And then you send your handsome men to marry the beautiful girls of Israel. And as those two things are happening, take your idols with you. Teach them to worship other gods. What was happening there in Pergamum was that there were people who were saying, Listen, this worship of Jesus is okay, but it's alright to worship other gods. Folks, let me just remind you what was happening at these temples is too vile to be able to talk about. Talking about immorality happening at these temples in worship to their God. And so these people were in the church trying to, to get others involved in false worship of other gods. By the way, Balaam's plan almost succeeded until God intervened and wiped out thousands to purify his people to continue to worship him and him alone. And then in verse 15 he says, so you also, he said, I have a few things against you, right? A few is two or three. <laughs> he says, so you also have some who in the same way hold the teachings of the Nicolaitans. Now, we only see the Nicolaitans here. There's lots of speculation out there. There's a lot of speculation in church history about who the Nicolaitans are. But I just want to tell you this. Whoever they were, they were teaching contrary to God's word that had already been developed, that had already been given to the church. They were doing opposite of that, and they were leading people away from the one true Lord, Jesus, and leading them to other things. I always have my guard up. I'm always very sensitive. I'm trying to make sure that there's no one misleading the sheep that God has given me to be under shepherd. Y'all help me. If y'all see false teaching ever crop up, y'all be sure to let me know. Because we want to deal with it. I don't want any of the sheep that, that are here that are Jesus' sheep to, to be misled. And so, he says, here's the solution. <laughs> Therefore, repent. And repentance... I remind you, is something that is constant in the believer's life. Some of us would think that repentance is over once we, we repent and turn to the Lord Jesus. As a matter of fact, some of us haven't been told we needed to repent. That's the reason that there's no genuine salvation because Jesus said, listen, in Luke 13, 3, and then verse 5, he says the same thing. I tell you, nay, except you repent, you shall all likewise perish. 
I'll tell you what, I hear a lot of preaching about salvation where there's no repentance in it. Folks, I want to tell you, if you come to Jesus, it'll be because you turned, because you repented of your own life and sin and turned to the Lord Jesus. But I want to tell you something. Repentance is a constant thing. Every time we sin, the first step is to repent. Folks, I want to tell you, when you sin, the Holy Spirit which is within you will convict you of your sin and you then must repent. If you don't repent, if you don't turn, folks, I want to tell you, there will come chastisement. It will come in God's love. It will come as as discipline. It will become as that He is wanting to redeem you. But folks, chastisement, even in love, is painful. And so, he says, listen, repent. Turn from this. Repentance. Repentance is more than just a change of heart. That's part of it. It's also a change of action. In other words, he's saying, listen, quit being permissive of allowing these people to mislead others. Take a stand. You've taken a stand for me in this world which you are looking at all these different people who are begging for worship for, of other things. He says, you take a stand and say, listen, outside these walls, they may be doing a lot of but inside the body of Christ, we are only going to worship Jesus. And if you're not interested in that, then you might need to go outside. If they don't repent... If they don't change, you might have to say, you need to leave. It says, repent, or else I am what? Coming to you quickly, and I will make war against them with the sword of my mouth. He says, if you don't deal with it, you're going to feel the pain of me dealing with it. And he says, dealing with them... I get the impression and understand that he's talking about the false teachers there. He's going to to cut with his sword, cut them out with the, the sword of his mouth. And when we go back to Revelation 19 and see how he obliterates all the armies, he'll have no problem taking care of those false teachers within the church. And so in verse 17 he says, He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. This last Friday our, uh, our uh, guys who cut the grass were here. And because of the noise their equipment makes, uh, they have earphones on. Not only do they have uh, earphones on, but they have earphones that play music. <laughs> oh, And... Uh, I was over here, I had moved the bus so that they could, uh, they could uh, cut the grass over here. And, and uh, one of the gentlemen was out here and he was working on his uh, weed whacker. Trying to get the all ready to whatever. And he was just had the headphones going. And he was looking this way and I was walking you know, off to the side, but I was walking. And normally, you would have been able to see me. Normally, you would have been able to hear me. But he didn't hear a thing. He didn't ever see me. 
He missed the whole thing that I was there. That's what Jesus is meaning. He says, let him who have an ear hear. Hear. Hear in a way that, that not only do you, you understand what's being said, but it is changing the way you live. You hear the word, you heed the word. Hear what the Spirit is saying to the churches. To him who overcomes. Let me just remind you who an overcomer is because the, the tense says, sounds like, oh no, we've got to work to overcome. But I want to remind you what John says in uh, 1 John 5, four and f uh, verses 4 and 5. For whatever is born of God overcomes the world. Folks, if you're born of God, if you're born again, you will overcome is what is being said here. You are an overcomer. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. If you have faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, that is what makes you an overcomer of this world. Who is the one who overcomes the world? but he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. Folks, I want to tell you as a believer, by faith I have overcome the world. Why? Because I believe Jesus is the Son of God. He is God. He came in the flesh. He lived the perfect life. He died for me. And God the Father resurrected God the Son on the third day. Because I trusted Him in faith, I'm an overcomer. You're an overcomer. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, it's us who are overcomers, to him I will give some of the hidden manna. Referring back to the, the Israelites as they went through the wilderness, how God fed them the honeycomb or the honey-tasting, uh, whatever it was, it was good. I think it must be the perfect food because, you know, it gave strength. Uh, it was cholesterol-free. It says, I will give you hidden manna. In other words, he's saying, I will feed you from my word. Remember, Jesus told his disciples, he says, I have food you don't know of. And I will give him a white stone. Isn't that what you want is a white stone? Carry around. In Rome, they would have uh, competitions, races, wrestling. And uh, the prize, the prize was a white stone. That makes you want to run, doesn't it? Now, folks, this is not a society that gave everybody a white stone, okay? Everybody didn't get a trophy. Only those who were champions got the trophy, got the white stone. The Greeks, it was a piece of uh, uh, green plant that they put around your head. This was a white stone. The Romans gave a white stone. It says, and a new name was written on the stone. So they would take the white stone and the champion's name would be right, written on the stone and they would hand it to him in a presentation and then he would say, look what I've done. It was a trophy. It was a trophy. 
Jesus says, listen, I'm going to feed you from my word, and I'm going to give you a white stone and a new name written on the stone, which no one knows but he who receives it. What does he mean there? Folks, I just want to tell you, when I became an overcomer, when I became a believer, Jesus made me a champion. He gave me a white stone, and he put my name on that stone. And I know it. I know it. I look at that white stone and I'm able to say, yes. Jesus saves. Jesus saved John. You see other people look at If you're lost here today, and I'm saying this, you're saying that don't make any sense. But if you're saved here today, if you're a believer, you know because you've got the white stone also. And you display it to the world saying, I'm a champion of Christ. I've been saved by Him. Here I have the stone to prove it. No one knows but He who receives it. Are you an overcomer? Are you holding on to the hand that holds on to you? Let's pray. Father, in these moments, your Holy Spirit continues to take your word. Father, how I pray that it will bring conviction. I pray that you'll confront us. Father, I, I know that there are believers here today and others that need to be brought comfort. And you... Your Holy Spirit is the comforter. And Father, I pray for comfort. But then, Father, there's those of us that you have a few things against. Things that we need to repent of. Things that uh, you've convicted us about. Father, there may be those who just need to come to the altar and express their their willingness to turn their willingness to change their behavior then father there may be someone here today they don't have the white stone they don't have their name written on the stone as you have convicted them through the power of your Holy Spirit they realize that they are a sinner they realize that there is a judgment to come They've realized the, the standard of righteousness that they don't, they don't measure up to. They would like to have this gift of eternal life through Jesus Christ. I pray that they would come and in a moment of faith, turning away from their sin, turning away from their life, turn to the Lord Jesus. So in these moments, move. Move in our midst and we praise you for it. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Every head bowed, every eye closed, the altar is open. If you're a believer that needs to come, you come right now. If you're lost without Christ, don't have the white stone, you come right now to the Lord Jesus. He'll save you. He'll change your life. He'll forgive you. He'll give you life more abundantly. Come to Him now. Come right now.